Another week, another pitiful effort from the Jets. We look back at the ugly 31-13 loss to the 49ers as they fall to 0-2. What the hell is going on with this team? Kaz and I will also chat with a diehard Jets fan and a mogul who could own the Jets one day. It's the man, the myth, the legend, Gary V. All that and more next on Gangs All Here from the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome in to Gangs All Here, our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside my co-host, Jets beat writer for the Post, Brian Costello. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio, at Brian Cos. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. If you use Apple, give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. We got a long interview where he just lets loose diehard Jets fan and mogul. Uh, he does it all. Gary V is going to join us in just a little bit. But first... Oh, man, Kaz, it's it's going to be a long season. You can already sense it. The Jets lose 31-13 to the 49ers, and that came with Jimmy Garoppolo essentially playing on one leg until they finally took him out of the game. He was limping around. Nick Bosa tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Raheem Mostert, you know, started off the game, and you knew the game was over. Here's the first play, and the game is over. The, uh, the famous family guy scene with an 80-yard run, and it seemed like from the first play on, this game was over for the Jets. They could not get anything going on offense. We saw a third and 31 draw play, cause that turned into a touchdown. You can't even do that in Madden. It was maddening how bad this Jets team is right now. The offense is putrid. You're seeing a couple of signs here and there from Makai Becton, from Marcus May. You know, Braxton Berry has had a garbage time touchdown. But outside of that, everything from A to Z, the special teams, the offense, the defense, the play calling. I mean, it's come to the point, Kaz, where I get excited over a reverse play, which I told you they should do with Malone, and it wasn't even that great of a play. I mean, we have to get excited over the little things. And the the 49ers banged up, quarterback gets hurt, they came and banged up, guys are out. Made the Jets once again look like Austin PA to Alabama. Cause it's hard to see this team reach anything close to seven wins. It's hard to see this team reach five wins. And we're not seeing much out of the, you know, the franchise quarterback either. I know he ran out of guys essentially with, with two to three healthy receivers when this game was over. But I'm I'm sick of making excuses. He's he hasn't been good. The offense hasn't been good. Gase hasn't been good. A to Z, this team is just an absolute train wreck right now. They won the coin toss, Jake. <laughs> you know, that was good. They won the coin toss. Then Ooh. they deferred, and then they gave up an 80-yard touchdown 17 seconds later. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. I can't argue with anything you said. They, they're terrible in every facet right now. I'll give special teams a little bit of a break. Ficken, Sam Ficken is making his field goals. They're, they're, that's the silver lining here to the Jets season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, offensively, you know, they moved the ball in the first half. They had a drive of 13 plays, a drive of 11 plays, and they com- they combined to come up with three points out of those plays, out of those drives. That was the killer to me was, you know, if the defense is going to give up plays like they did, the offense has to score and keep up with the Niners. Because think about it, if they had scored, you know, if they scored touchdowns there and it's 21-14 at the half, and now Garoppolo's coming out, now you have some hope. 
You know, it, it's just the offense was was terrible there. The, and the defense, all they talked about all week was tackling better than they did against Buffalo, not allowing explosive plays. And they let an 80-yard touchdown out of the gate. And if you watch that play, there's just guys all out of position getting trucked. Ashton Davis did not got got trucked on it. Alec Ogletree was out of position. You know, this is a team that prides itself on stopping the run, and, and they give up a run like that. And like you said, Garoppolo, he was hobbling. You know, every, every time he threw the ball, he was lipping, but the Jets couldn't get near him. And Greg Williams doesn't trust his cornerback, so he's not blitzing. So these guys sit back there and have all the time in the world unless Quinton Williams – you know, gets back there, which he did today. Had, had you know, he had a nice game, but he's not going to dominate a game. Um, it's just hard to see Jake where the fix is. I know fans are going to scream fire Gase. That's always the fix. I don't know if that changes anything. You know, this goes way beyond one person. You know, and they're not going to fire him after two games. And Christopher Johnson made that clear last week. Gase has got to figure this out and has to get the team playing better. And one thing I'll say, Jake, is when the schedule. When you looked at the schedule, right at Buffalo, San Francisco, at Indianapolis. I think every everyone looked at it and said they could be 0 and 3 like that that's pretty that, that's scheduled that you could be 0 and 3 but the way they're losing is what's disturbing uh, you know i don't think jets fans came into this year thinking they're going to beat buffalo or the 49ers uh but they they should at least be competitive with them and neither of these scores represent how bad they were. The first week, 27-17, yes. that was like 50-2. to two. Like, it did not feel like 27-17. And today felt like worse than 31-13. So I wouldn't even look at the scores. You look at how they played. Like you said, they haven't competed. And while we thought they would be 0-2 or 0-3 these first three games, we didn't think it'd be college football versus an NFL team. And that's really how it's looked. And Jimmy Garoppolo could have been rolling around in a wheelchair like he was Drake and Degrassi. And he still would have been throwing touchdowns against the Jets. So that's what's frustrating is that this team was hobbled, came and banged up. It's your it's your home opener, no fans, but you are home. You're in your building, the comfort of your own building. And God, it, I mean, we said it with uh, with uh, Gary V later. If there were fans there, it would there would be Moving items ugly. on the field. There, yeah. it's not Buffalo. There wouldn't be dildos on the field, but there might be you know hot dog wrappers and beer bottles. Uh, it would have got ugly at MetLife because fans are sick of this act and this this team. And you know they're excited about what Joe Douglas has done, but at some point you have to see these pieces come to come into place and form something that's a, a good product. And we're not seeing a good product. Yeah, they haven't had a lead. Yeah, Jake, they haven't they haven't led in in the season. And honestly, there hasn't been one minute of either of these games where I thought they were going to win. Uh, you know, there was no there was there's been no chance of them winning in these games, which that's deadly. And and the Colts, I didn't see any of the Colts game today, but I know they won big over the Vikings, so that's not going to be an easy game for them. I think you're looking at that Denver game on Thursday night and coming up, uh, you know, in 11 days or whatever is they they lost their quarterback today, so maybe that's the hope of getting the first win. But there are not many wins on the schedule right now as you look at it i agree with you you know it's, it's hard to get them to five right now looking at the schedule and the way they're playing oh man i mean i mean oh, let's see oh and three if they lose denver oh four cardinals oh five Chargers, oh six bills oh seven chiefs oh and eight patriots oh and nine there is a slight chance they're oh and nine going into a dolphin game and they are oh and nine gase is gone i don't think he lasts this entire season if this team continues to play like this and Listen, maybe some more practice time and, you know, watching more game tape helps. But, you know, Gary V is a guy who is not about excuses and complaints. And there's only so many more excuses you can make. Every team had the same situation. They had no preseason games, limited practice. Other teams had, you know, same units from last year. And I get that. We yeah. talked about that last week. The Jets have a new team and a new unit. 
But I mean, how many more excuses can you make for this team, man? I mean, it's 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 to the point where a four yard run excites us. A four yard run, cause and Frank <laughs> Gore didn't have many of them. He's a future Hall of Famer. I know he ran it twenty one times. You know, you got excited that Lamichael P Ryan ran a few times and had some positive yards, but. You know, the fact that we have to get excited over the simplest of things is just so infuriating, and they they got to be better. There's no more excuses. This team has got to be better, and maybe, you know, getting guys back healthy will play a part in that, but you, you can't hope for that right now because, again, they lost another guy in Rashad Perriman to a receiving core that really starts to scare you and start to think, you know what, we might have to get guys off the scrap heap because we need bodies out there. We need physical bodies, and they just don't have that. Yeah, I think your hope of getting better is getting healthier and guys coming together. Like it, that, that is a real thing, Jake, of like some of these teams didn't change many players. Like Buffalo was basically the same team they were last year. So I think they had a huge advantage over the jets who had, you know, four starters back from last year on offense. So, but you know, maybe they work over time, they get better, but that's really the only reason yeah, to have hope that they're going to improve this year. Yeah. And the receiver situation is in really, really bad shape right now. And if you're going to ding Joe Douglas on something, I think not not re-signing Robbie Anderson is where I go. You know, Robbie had another good game. Uh, as I, I saw the stat line, at least he had a hundred another hundred yard game. And you know, they they could have had him. I don't think that contract was unreasonable, as I've said before, that Carolina signed them to, and they they chose not to, and they went cheaper with Rashad Perriman, and they're kind of getting what they paid for right now. This is a guy who's been hurt throughout his career, and he's he's getting hurt a lot now with the Jets. Yeah, and you know, there's not many ways you could go. I mean, I doubt you're going to really make a trade. You're not going to trade an asset for a receiver when your team looks this bad. But cause they, uh, <laughs> we joke, but they might throw a Wayne Corbett out there next week. I mean, it's getting to the point where you're going to throw out a lot of scrubs if if you don't get healthy. And even when they are healthy, I'm, I mean, we'll wrap it up on this before we go to Gary V. Sam Darnold is concerning. I feel like he's been missing a lot of throws. He's been missing open receivers. The play calling has been great. We're seeing a lot again, third and nine, where they're throwing it back to the line of scrimmage. But, I mean, we can't make Sam Darnold excuses every single game of his career. At some point, he has to carry the team and show something. And again, today, he didn't really do that. Yeah, I thought he played better than Buffalo. He didn't have those boneheaded decisions that he had in Buffalo. Um but yeah, you'd like to see him take more shots down the field. Now, is that him? Is that Gase? It's hard to know for sure. With some of these play calls, some of them are, are you know, audibles or sight adjustments that he's making on when he sees the defense. But yeah, he, he didn't overwhelm you today. And it's funny, his, his stats his stats were, when I looked at his stat line, I'm like, ah, actually, I, he played better than I thought. But I think a lot of that was compiled at the end of the game. You just like to see them put a little bit more on him. Uh, I thought the uh, fourth and seven call, Jake, where they kicked the field goal down three touchdown was atrocious. What's the point of kicking a field goal there? Let Sam try to make something happen. Roll him out. Do something. You know, uh, and the other guy who's disappeared, Jake, is Chris Herndon. I mean, he had a bad drop in the end zone. One catch for five yards. That's a guy I thought would ha- could have a big year, and he's just he's been invisible pretty much. And, Kaz, when you talk about no receivers, why aren't they having any two tight end sets? Why aren't we seeing Griffin and Herndon? No, they did there? a ton. Jake, they did a ton today. I mean, but why they aren't they catching the ball? They aren't going. Donald's not throwing them the ball. He's not throwing the ball, but they did more two tight end sets today than I've ever seen them do under Gaze. Uh, I think a lot of it was they were doing two tight end sets to block the defensive ends. They were worried about them more than anything else, but they threw one to Griffin where he committed pass interference there toward the end of the game. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, I thought they needed to get them more involved. They, they just, I mean, they targeted Herndon, I think five times, something like that. He had one catch, 
but I, they, they need to figure out a way to get those guys more involved, especially with their situation at wide receiver right now. Yeah, well, I mean, when Fireman Ed's one of your, your fifth receiver at some point, you got to start throwing the ball <laughs> to a tight end. So, I mean, Herndon's a huge disappointment. Griffin, you give this, you know, this big contract extension to, he's been almost non-existent. So enough using them as blockers and start using them to catch the football because the Jets have to have some positive yards. Kaza, good luck to you uh, these coming weeks. Uh, Indianapolis is next. We'll preview that game on Thursday. But coming up next is a guy who knows a lot about the Jets. He's a diehard Jets fan. He's worth more than me and Kaz times about a billion in our bank accounts. <laughs> it is the mogul, Gary V. next on Gangs All Here. And joining the show now is a diehard Jets fan. He's a five-time New York Times bestselling author. He's a mogul. He co-founded Ressi and Empathy Wines. He's part of Vayner X, CEO Vayner Media. He's the host of the Gary V Audio Experience, Vayner Sports Agency. He's coming off a Good Morning America appearance on Friday. <laughs> Straight up to the Gangs All Here podcast. It is Gary V. Gary, welcome to the show. Jake Brown, Brian Costello. How you doing, man? I'm really well. It's an upgrade from uh, GMA, so I'm excited to be with you guys. Well, we <laughs> the show might be, but the team would be a downgrade from D GMA, Gary, because obviously they fall to 0-2 on Sunday. And man, another tough one to watch. Another game that was not competitive. And I'm sure you, like me, as a Jet fan, are a little bit frustrated with what you're seeing. Yeah, because I think, you know, if you, if, you know for the last five hours, six hours of Sunday after the game, I, I read, you know, Jets fandom on Twitter and other places and spoke to all my buddies. And, you know, there's this kind of weird pit in the stomach of we kind of intuitively feel like we might have the best quarterback in place we've had in a long time or or a very, very long time. And it you kind of feel like it's slipping through your fingers a little bit. And so there's definitely um, there's concern because we're now into year three of Sam. And, you know, I'm sure it's hard for any expert or any fan to, to like be thrilled with like the amount of data you have to make like your definitive decision that I think everybody wants to get to when they're a, a fan or an analyst. And, yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah, Gary, I mean, it, it, the Darnold evaluation is so hard right now. I thought he played poorly last week in Buffalo. I thought he did things independent of who was around him and the play calling that you, you could see just bad decisions. He didn't play like that against the 49ers. I thought he played better. But at one point in the second half, his receivers were Braxton Berrios and Josh Malone. And that was it. They had two wide receivers. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. So you're right. It's just hard to, to get a, a gauge on where he is. And the Jets have decisions to make after the season on him with the fifth year option and whether they want to contract and, you know, do they bring in a new coach and try that aspect? Do they bring in competition for him? Uh, there's a lot of questions. They, they I understand the Jets fans frustrations. Um, and I don't think there's a short term fix here. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think Joe Douglas has a really tough decision. You know, for me, it's not a tough decision. Like if I really put myself in that place, I think the the upside of picking up the fifth year option when you look at the body of like the talent around him for three years and I totally agree with you I did feel like Buffalo wasn't super exciting it was kind of like a ugh, you know kind of game for third season I think against the 49ers considering the situation and by the you know that touchdown the Barrios was like so all him in a lot of ways 
And so, you know, like, what are you going to, you know, I, I know where Jets Nation is. Like, what are you going to go into? Like, the notion of, I mean, just imagine if the Jets have the number one pick. Do you understand the haul, the haul that you could get for trading that pick? I mean, when you think about what we gave up to move up some slots for Sam, you know, the number one pick and Lawrence staring in the face. I mean, you could be looking at the all-time biggest package in NFL history and Joe's already sitting with four picks in the first two rounds. And we're in a situ, you know, we're a situation where, you know, we have tons of money. You know, you kind of go into a situation where you're like, you've got, you've never put anything around him to the level of other young quarterbacks around the league that are getting assets. Because I never want to talk about NFL players. There's nothing around him, but it's obviously very different. And, you know, you'd like to, you'd like to see it. So I get it and I understand, but. I don't know, even in the limited action, it feels like there's enough there that I, for one, and it's obviously only two games into the season, and we're going to watch a lot more here, but are you really going to be thrilled to give up on this QB in a season when the playmakers around him are what they are, considering the injuries? I mean, we'll re- I mean Perryman's going to be hurt here a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's the number one. The number one pick thing is fascinating because if you're going to, you're right, you're, you get a crazy haul, but you better be sure that Trevor Lawrence isn't a generational quarterback because, you know, I, you look back at the Jets' mistakes over the last few years and they could have drafted Patrick Mahomes in 2017 and they didn't. And they, they don't get well, far here, enough. Here, here, you know? here. Listen, listen, I've been pretty on the record on this. Like, that was just ludicrous. McCagnon did – like, I, Jet fans love to talk about Idzik. He had 40 seconds. You know, he, not that he did anything, but Mac had five years. Look at who he signed contracts to. And when Josh McCown is your starting quarterback going into it, and you have that pick, and you don't take Deshaun Watson or Mahomes, and you take back-to-back safeties in a modern scoring NFL, that was a devastating one. You know, and so, and by the way, if you take one of those two quarterbacks after you traded Sheldon Richardson, you wouldn't have had to give up all those picks. Who knows where this squad would be? I get it, but listen, we're not talking in make pretends. Like Joe Douglas is going to have to actually be in that situation. There is a substantial chance here with this schedule. I mean, do you two have like the obvious win on the board the rest of the fourteen weeks? Uh, there's, there's zero. I mean, you could maybe look at Denver at home as they Denver. have a shot, especially yeah. if they're starting Jeff Driscoll. We don't know, uh, or if yep. they're starting Brandon Allen, one of yeah. the backup quarterbacks, maybe. But other than that. Gary, it. it looks pretty bleak. We, me and Cos before the season said seven and nine. Well, I mean, I'd be stunned if they got to five and eleven at this point. Listen, man. I mean, like the the fact that like the big highlight is that you know, listen. The takeaway from this week, if you're like really pulling for straws, is that was probably Quinn and Williams' best game as a pro. You know, um, but yeah, man, this is going to be a really tough season, and there's nothing you can do about it. But I think we're talking about the most interesting question, and we're way ahead of ourselves because we have to go through the process. But if we have the number one pick, I will be firmly – I feel. I mean, look, I can't say this. It is early, but I genuinely feel that it's impossible to evaluate Sam. And when I'm staring five, maybe six first two-round picks over a period of time – and by the way, I don't know how you guys feel. I'm pretty excited about Joe. Like, I kind of like – like, I just kind of like his demeanor – and, like, I like the way he's attacking things. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm far more excited about him as a GM than I've been the last two. And so, you, you know, he, 
I don't know, like I would uh, giving up five, six top 60 picks when, you know, cause, cause Sam feels more guaranteed to be Cannon Hill in my gut right now than he feels to, than, than, that Lawrence is 100% going to win you a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? You just have no data on Sam. We have no data on Sam. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think Tannehill is a good comparison. I think Sam, you put him on a team with a good defense and good running backs and he can, he can win you games. I think, you know, guys, similar to Mark, guys, Sanchez. Mark makes, Sanchez was like that. Plays. And then, you know, then the he team fell apart around him and he couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, like, that's exactly right. Like, like, like that was my, you know, listen, I love Mark. I love every jet. And the second they're gone, then I hate them. Like, it's not super complicated for me, <laughs> but like, like when you have that offensive line and the number one running football team in football and a defense, like it, it, fans get confused because of lack of context. I said something to my buddy on Sunday when they lost in the afternoon about players around because he was losing his mind. I said, just for fun, and this is for everybody listening, I think this might actually help. You know when you get on a like all of us listening probably at some level hack with sports. You know when you're not that great in pickup basketball, but you get on a team where you're the fourth best player on the team and you kind of hit a couple of like jumpers and make maybe like a defensive stop and you're like pumped after the pickup game or the you know, real league you're in. And then imagine... You're, describe, that- you're describing my life, Gary, right now. That's pretty well, much me. <laughs> well, listen, this is where this gets interesting then. Now think about the times when you're needed to be the number one or two player. Right, yeah. You know, and I, I don't know why people struggle with like understanding this context. Like... Every one of us played enough pickup, enough backyard, enough high school. Like, you've lived it. You've lived when you're the fourth or fifth in a basketball game, and you've lived when to be the number one. And, and, and if you're not good, you know what that means. Like, it really matters. Is anybody watching the Chiefs and watching number 70 pancaking everyone? Or somebody's going to go to the Pro Bowl in about five seconds here. <laughs> this stuff matters a little bit. Like, vibe matters. Momentum matters. Who's around you matters. And right now, I, you know, this is not going well. Where, where are you, Gary, on Adam Gase? Do you think he lasts the entire season? Do you think he's the coach of next season? I mean, he's going to need something complete. Listen, I, I, again, with context and injuries, and listen, he's had it here too. I wasn't dead when the Jets hired him, and I was curious, and I, you know, and there was enough chatter from guys I knew around the league that, like, had enough good things to say. So I was – you know, you know, you go in optimistic, um, but like it, it, it's not going well. I, he's going to have to really, really, really. This was my point for him to be the Jets head coach next year. This team has to go with your prediction of seven and nine. It's going to have to happen from here on out. And and by the way, there's been a, a bunch of injuries and, and the mono, and I get that. the The problem is last year confused people. I I, I don't know why Jet fans didn't acknowledge this. Like we played no one last year. We had the best schedule I've ever seen us have in my entire life. You know, we lost to the 0-11 or whatever they were, Bengals, and an 0-whatever Dolphins. Like, you know, so I just, I don't see how the Jets win three or four games this year. I don't see how the pressure of those kind of seasons allow him to come back. And I'll be honest with you, it could get really bad here. I mean, this is going to be a very complicated, he's going to have to win seven games, I think, for him to come back. I really believe that. And I think it's a tough spot. For him, because you know the same with the talent. If you're going to give Sam the pass, but you know, there's, you know, fans are just like, and organizations, and like, I don't know. You just don't see. You know, I hate to say it because I hate them down there. But like, you watch other teams, like the Dolphins, who don't seem to have a whole lot going on either. 
and it just feels different. And that's a problem over the last 18 games. Yeah, and I think the best thing going for the Jets today was that there was no fans at MetLife because <laughs> the fans would have been booing nonstop today from – the the you know the opening eighty yard touchdown and then uh, when when Gase decides to run a draw on third down, 49ers run a draw on third down and they get fifty five <laughs> yards <laughs> somehow. I've seen a million third down draws covering the Jets and they never seem to work. And then the 49ers spring a fifty five yarder. So uh, yeah, I agree with you, Gary. And I think it's just going to get think, so ugly. You know what? We, you, know what you know what would you know what would have been a low point in that game, in my opinion, is when we kicked the field goal. Yes, I, fourth I and seven. Fans, yeah, yeah. I think that would have gotten the like. You know what? We're on. As a fan, and I think, you know, like this is now like trying to separate yourself from like being completely on tilt. A part of me is a little bit like, listen, can we just see what Sam can do in that spot? Like, I think a lot of people forget what Sam, I think a lot of people forget how little football Sam's played. Like, he, like between missing some games in his first two seasons and the limited amount of time he played in USC, he's still a very, like, this guy's played not that many games since high school. You know, like, and so, like, just getting him those reps, which speaks a little bit to, like, was it really in our best interest to run Frank Gore that much this week? Especially when the game was a little bit out of hand and, like, you could tell it was, like, it just feels a little bit like some of those things are a little bit frustrating from the standpoint of, I'd rather, you know, now, here's the thing. The offensive line, and not that it was perfect against the Niners, but the offensive line feels in enough shape that you can at least see what Sam would do it with it, even from decision-making standpoint of getting him those looks, even when you've got Barrios and Malone and that's not the ideal situation. So, by the way, I don't know about you guys, but you know now you're just now we're going deep in the well here. But I thought Barrios did some nice stuff in open space. He slipped on one play, made another. That adjust on that touchdown, he puts he did the right thing. He kept moving in a way that like put him in a good position. Like I thought he was a little sneaky on on Sunday. Yeah, he's not bad. He had a good training camp. He had a really good training camp. But the problem is he's essentially the same player as Jameson Crowder. So when Crowder's healthy, he's not going to be out there too much. I don't think, mm-hmm. but. You know, that that gets to the next point, which is like, you know, you'd like to see in a situation where we're depleted, you know, don't forget, you know, Bill Parcells here decided to use Ray Lucas instead of Neil O'Donnell because he thought and Leon, I mean, not to like really hurt feelings here on the bobbled out of bounds interception we threw against the Lions in the last game of the year, which was, you know, Leon Johnson's throw passes. How much Bill Parcells doesn't believe in Neil O'Donnell in that situation it makes me think a little bit like that, which is like, I'm with you, but guess what? If There may be a situation, if Barrios and Crowder are the best receivers you've got because of injuries, if Mims and Perriman don't progress, you'd like to see them consider doing something creative instead of just like next man up in a system versus adjusting to the players, which I think has been really the historical difference between winning coaches in the NFL and non-winning coaches. The ability to adjust your system to the reality of your situation. Not that I'm proposing we have two slot receivers out there at the same time. I think what the fan base is struggling with is the theory of like life, right? Like we like the life, you know, like, look, the, like I'm sure every Jets fan on the Malone play, you know, was excited to see something like that. And just like a little bit of that feels like, and we just have to, you know, I don't know. It feels like going through the, uh, the process instead of trying to, like, at all desperation win instead of keeping it, in theory, optically close. I, I'm i the kind of guy in life, let alone as a fan, let alone 
when I play a video game, I'd rather lose 49-3 to trying to somehow stun the world and come back down 28 nothing than to lose 31-16 for optics. Yeah, I hear you. And I thought that, that the fourth down call, uh, he you know, after the game, Gay said there's not a lot of fourth and good calls on fourth and seven. He's right, but you're down 24-3, I think it was at that point. Like, what are you gaining by kicking a field goal there? I, I don't think that makes anyone feel good on the team. Like, just just try to score there. Try something. And then some of the give-up runs uh, in the fourth quarter were just – it just you're sending a message that you're, you're not – you know, you're giving up. You're waving the white flag. So Listen, those, those ones were tough on these. Right? Like, right? Like, you know that. Like, that happens at the NFL. But here's my thing. Look, what I'm asking for happened, right? Pirine and Balaj are in there in the fourth. So I'm happy with that. Like, listen, it's a tough situation. I'll say this. Beckton looks like he, he might be ridiculously good. And that is awfully exciting. You know, to me, now we're getting to the point oh one percent sliver hopes. You hope that you don't have enough of data on Sam and you see enough glimmer. And I, I agree with you. I thought the Niner game I honestly thought he played well, to be frank. Um you know, and 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 you hope. I mean, you hope that you can have a left tackle and a quarterback, and you have a ton of ammo. We have a lot of money, and we have a lot of picks, and we're going to be really bad this year, most likely. Which highly mean. I mean, look, it would be really cool to have the number one pick in this NFL draft, and everybody knows it. Like you, Brian, from your perspective, like guys, from your perspective, like how big is that package if we deal it? Yeah, what I what I have to sit down and, and analyze is how many teams need a quarterback. I think that's the you question. The good news. You know this. You know this. The good news is at least four or five. It's just the yeah. way it is. Well, a lot. It's just the there's been a lot of quarterbacks where, drafted in recent years. You where know? do the? Yeah, it just it matters who and what. I mean, there's a, we're a million years away from all of this, but like, who who and what and where? Right to your point. Like, I mean, this season's. Can I ask you guys a real random question? Is there actual fear around our turf or no? After the today, there is, yeah. I mean, the 49ers were pretty adamant about it, that it was sticky. Um, you know, it's weird. The Jets have only been on it once before today. They had a practice during training camp there. Uh, but it's, you know, you can – the minute I walked in the building, you can tell there's new turf. And they put – the Giants played there. Yeah. Yeah, and what happened? But the Giants still did nothing, right? I, I don't – yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'd I don't, have to look back. I don't remember anything. Yeah, what but what changed I mean, in the last yeah. week that this this happened? I just – I don't understand the turnaround. Yeah, I think I think that's – overreaction emotion but hopefully because that's all we need yeah no that wouldn't be good uh, well they'll, they'll change the turf if that's a problem you know they've done that before so it'll be fixed if, if they, they discover it's a problem gary i'm i'm curious we're gonna need to drink a lot this season and you're a big wine guy um i'm a white i'm a white wine guy can you give me your mount rushmore of white wines fun question um of white wine so i think everybody has to have one hardcore creamy oaky buttery Chardonnay. And for me that, you know, for me, that's Kistler. So Kistler in California is you know, a big, big dog. So Kistler Chardonnay, probably Oliver Lafleve, white Burgundy, Polini Montrachet, single vineyard, um, white Burgundy is big fan. Uh, just cause I, I really, really like, you know, um, Austrian and German Riesling, things of that nature. So Rudy Pickler, a Rudy Pickler Riesling, Let's go with that. And then um, this is an orange wine. I don't know if you've ever had that, no. but it, it's called Gravener. It, oh. uh, it, it acts white in some ways, but it's got a little bit of a different uh, process of making it. So Gravener uh, out, of, um, out of Italy. So that, that's where I would go with it, my friend. 
Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm marking. I'll send, I'll send you those links because I know that was super dorky and not necessarily easy to remember. So I'll, I'll make sure I send you an email with some links. To yes, to please do that. because a lot of it did sound German to me, but it will be wines that I will drink <laughs> after I you know watch a 2-14 and 14 season and I watch a new head coach. I watch a lot of draft picks, and uh, I'm going to try all those wines. Gary, you kind of, uh, last one for you, you kind of built – for COVID, I feel like with all the stuff you've done digitally and with your with your podcast and everything going on, like I feel like you are kind of thriving uh, during this time staying home. You know what? I'm built for it in a different way. When you're born in the Soviet Union, you live in a studio apartment in Queens with eight family members and you grow up in the 80s and you don't get stuff. You have to like earn it yourself in the streets of New Jersey. You're kind of built for it because you're built for adversity. If you're an entrepreneur and an immigrant or come from humble beginnings, you don't complain about dumb You know, you kind of, you deal with the realities of, of life and you understand that it's not always going to be rosy. And by the way, to make this fully contextual, being a Jets fan for 40 years probably (laughs) makes me prepare for real life as well at some level. So you're right. I'm I'm optimistic and, and realistic and, and grateful for what I have versus, you know, just watching people complain about, you know, silly things that they're missing. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of Americans who've died from this disease. And from my standpoint, the fact that nobody I love the most in the world has allows me to be grateful. And I just try to keep a perspective similar. You know, the one place I'm delusional is Jets land. Like I'm trying to be a little bit here practical and, and try to be thoughtful. So I don't, you know, but like, in real life, I'm pretty practical and like even keeled and like deal with the realities and prepared for anything. You know, in Jets land, when Josh Allen, you know, fumbles the football in the first game, I'm like spitting at the TV, yelling that I knew I know who he is. I, I desperately need Josh Allen to stink. I don't know why. I just need that in my soul. So, you know, yeah, I, I definitely I am built for this, but it's less about technology. Though, to your point, I'm thrilled to sit in front of a laptop and my cell phone for 12 hours a day and you Zoom this and Google Hangouts that. Um, but uh, but I think it's more mindset. And and honestly, I think that the insight of frustration right now, though I, I'm empathetic because I understand football well enough to like, I, I do feel like another 20, 30% to let it loose. Um, and not let it loose like careless and let Sam throw three picks, which, you know, at some level, I'm sure if I sat down with Adam, you know, and, and talked it through, that's a very tough counter argument, right? Right, guys? If we're sitting there and it's like, cool, we'll let it loose. And yeah. Now he's got three picks. Like, I get it. I really genuinely quote unquote get it enough. It's just, um, it's just tough. Like I understand every fans, like every tweet, every reaction, because it's, um, it's been a tough thing. You know, to tell a little story, just to shoot the breeze a little bit here. I, I, uh, we lost a Steelers playoff game, AFC championship game. And I walked back to my hotel and I was with my buddy Al. We were crossing one of the bridges, freezing, and the stadium was in the background and I grabbed him and I said, look back at that stadium. We, we didn't say a word. Game's over. Didn't say a word. Walked for like 15 minutes and then just something kind of hit me and I, I grabbed him. And obviously this was back-to-back playoff runs on four playoff games in two years, all that stuff. I don't have to explain to anybody that's listening to this because if you're listening to this, you know all that. And I looked back at Three Rivers, whatever, like Hinesfield, whatever, and and I looked and I said to him, I said, it's going to be a long, 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 long time before we're back. 
And I just had this like crazy, uncomfortably not exciting feeling in my stomach after wow. that loss. And, you know, I would have not predicted that it would be a decade plus of no playoff ex- playoff appearances. And um, so right now the, the, the fan base is on tilt. You know, it's been a long I mean, to think that the uh, literally the opening drive of MetLife when Calvin Pace and Boha converged on Flacco on the first drive. I'm getting a little nerdy here. Stick with me. I, yeah. I still I still think, because I've been to all of them, I still think that was the loudest moment in that life. If you, <laughs> that's awfully tough to think about, that the first drive <laughs> of it yeah. was, you know, like that's just where it's been. And so people are frustrated and I get that. And by the way, man, you know this, like I'm pretty hardcore planning every business move in my life to buy this franchise. So I'm trying, in my older age, I'm trying to be thoughtful about like, what would I be thinking and what would I be doing, you know, if I actually ran the franchise. And so that's my plans in my seventies. And like right now as a fan with no say or no, no real inside knowledge outside knowing some of the guys here and there, like it's a, it's, it's going to be a tough one. Well, Gary, well, when you said the, you know, they might not be back, I just think of the SpongeBob clip where it's like 10 years later and uh, 10 years later, they they still are nowhere to be found. Uh, We would love for you to buy the team. How about Steve Cohen and Gary V as owners of the Mets and the Jets? Inject that right into my veins, Gary. Um, You know, I I, I hope you get that done. You you got 20 years. You know, know, I think about that a lot and I think about like pulling it off and I think about like the, the best feeling of it is to actually be that big of a diehard that can recall some of the things we've talked about here. You know, I've watched every play since 82, and I have a real big-time memory. So, like, you know, talking about, age, you know, being an owner that can talk about Adrian Morell's game against the Cardinals <laughs> is something that I think Jet fans would like, right? Because, like, I always picture myself as the owner as, like, an old man because I'm going nice and slow. Like, people would buy the Jets. I'm like, I'm a pretty far away financially, but I'm doing the things that I think will get me there if the timing works out. And I don't wish any bad of the Johnsons or this, but they're older than me enough to make me dream. And I think about, like, a bad game. You know, if I pump this for 50 years or 40 years and eventually buy the team, and the opening game is similar to – I almost broke my hand, by the way. This is like now I'm going on a tangent. I almost broke my hand in Herm Edwards' first game. Because we lose that Colts game. I'm driving from the stadium. And, I, you know, we just had parcels and all that. And obviously one year ago. But I wanted to hear what Herm was going to say. And we get beat pretty badly by the Colts in that game. And he starts with, I've got friends in this locker room. And I don't know why. Maybe it was the juxtaposition difference between him and Parcells. I lost my mind and started punching the steering wheel so hard <laughs> that I was broke my hand. And so as I was just telling this story, I was thinking if my first game as owner in 25 years is like one of those kind of games where like I talk all this, you know, all this stuff, all this confidence. There's people that at that point of like 40 years of propaganda that are really built into me having it. They're pumped, this and that. And we get smoked. I always think about that day because I always think about spending literally the next 48 hours engaging with every Jets fan on whatever the Twitter of the day is and basically imposing my fandom on them, which is like, cool, I understand you're a fan. I'm a bigger fan than you. And like just going down that path. And I think at some level, like it would be fascinating, you know, to see, like it's, I'm always fascinated when people own a team that actually really are about that team. 
And that's that would be you and Steve, Steve Cohen, great next finest, yep. big Mets fan. Uh, remember yep. this podcast, folks. Remember 2045, Gary V, <laughs> Jets owner. Uh, you'll be 70. I'll be 55 then. I'm going to be an old man. And hopefully by then the Jets win a Super Bowl. But if they don't, Gary V will bring us the first by Super the way, Bowl since by 1969. The way, by the way, on the record, if the Jets win a Super Bowl before I get them, I'm just putting it out there so it's on the record. A lot of my focus will go to the Knicks. All right. Because I'm suffering over there, too. Listen, get James Dolan out of town as quick as you can, please. I, I would love for you to go there as well. So, Anyway, for, to my fellow Jet fans, like, look, this season is what it is. This is where you get nerdy and literally watch Quinn and Williams and Beckton. And, and, like, Sam's easy to watch, but I don't know how everybody's watching. But literally, I watched Quinn on every snap today, the other day, excuse me. You know, like, so, I mean, that's the that's the thing to do. Like, you've got to watch Ashton Davis. You, this is what you got to do. Otherwise, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah, it's it's time to stop watching for wins and, you know, watch the young guys grow. Gary V, future Jets owner, Vayner Mina, Vayner Sports, Empathy Wines, uh, you know, New York Times bestseller, Gary V, audio experience. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram. He's a great follow. You know, wakes up motivated, gets me motivated and pumped up. And you owning the Jets would pump me up, Gary. So we appreciate you coming on. Gang's all here, and we'll talk to you uh, later in the season. Thank you, man. That'll wrap up episode 36, the Jim Leonard edition of Gang's All Here, our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. As you say bye, do us a favor. Go to Apple Podcast now, write in a positive review, and give us a five-star rating. We love the feedback. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday previewing the Jets matchup in Indy against Phillip Rivers and the Colts. We'll talk to you then. Stay safe, folks. <laughs>